Welcome to The Brooke Taylor Show. This is episode number 247, Eustace Scrub, Overcoming the Occult and Embracing Advent, with special guest, Melody Lyons. And now, here's your host, Brooke Taylor. Well, for the last year and a half or so, we've been working our way through the complete Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. So Gus is our youngest, he just turned 11. He and I have been reading that together So in the Chronicles, we are now in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and I want to kick this episode off with a part of that story that Gus and I read last week that just blew me away. It was a moment in the story revolving around the character called Eustace Scrub. And if you've read the story before, you may already know exactly what I'm about to say. But for me, this was a revelation. I had not read Voyage of the Dawn Treader before, and I just keep thinking about it. And as we explore the themes on today's show of Advent and even the occult, and I know it might sound very bizarre to lump together both of those in one show, but it will make sense. I really can't think of a better way to present the theme than by describing the scene that we read about with Eustace. And so I was going to recount it all, but then I found this great article and I want to just share an insight taken from there. It was beautifully written by Mark Herringshaw, and it's entitled, I am Eustace Scrub, Undragoned in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And so this is a little snapshot of that scene and what he says about that particular passage. Dawn Treader is Eustace's story and mine, how a human soul can descend to monstrous depths, then find unexpected and undeserved redemption through surrender to the one who alone can convert. Spoiler, on an island where Eustace is supposed to be helping the mission at hand, he instead sneaks off and finds a dragon's lair. There, fed by his greed for the hoard of treasure, Eustace is transformed into a dragon. At first, he relishes the power, but soon, isolation and shame make him realize the truth. He is an intolerable monster. He begins to want to change. That night, a lion, Aslan, comes to Eustace, telling him to undress out of his dragonness. Eustace tries to scratch at his skin. At first, it seems to work as the scales slip off like a banana peel. Just as soon as Eustace discovers that another layer of dragon skin lies beneath the first, and in despair, Eustace realizes he cannot cure himself alone. He isn't merely wearing a dragon suit, he is a dragon. But wonders never cease. There is no magic even in Narnia, but there are miracles. Eustace, via Lewis, later describes what happened next. Then the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, but I can tell you I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. That very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Lewis tells the truth. Conversion begins if and only when I surrender to the one who rips deep the fibers of our dragonness. Can I ever hope to be the boy, the man, the woman I was created to become? I am used to scrub then and now. And so begins a time where we are invited to approach the one who has the power to transform us, the time of Advent and a time of conversion and transformation. And today's guest is a living example of transformation. I look forward to sharing her story with you from 
immersion in the occult and in new age spirituality to a massive break from that life into a vocation as Catholic wife, mother of eight, and now with the honored title of grandmother, married to a theologian, fire chief, also a veteran homeschooler, writer, speaker, health and fitness educator, and my friend, Melody Lyons. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. And I, I love that story from the Chronicles of Narnia. I didn't read that series until I was 28 years old. And the result is that I read it in a very adult way. And it's written for children, but I think C.S. Lewis must have known that it was really the adults who needed this simple illustration to break through all the layers of grief and sin that just build up in a life and so, so perfectly Advent. Is that something you can relate to? It sounds for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I And in fact, I think of that frequently where Eustace is there and he's terrified, right? Because in order to undragon, which he doesn't even understand how he got there, he doesn't understand how to free himself from it, he has to surrender. He has to, on some level, trust that Aslan is going to make this okay. He doesn't understand it at all. And that the ripping off of that skin, you know, that the divine physician, that transformation that we undergo in the suffering and that process of conversion is not all of the <laughs> twinkling lights and the, you know, the, the scene that maybe we would want it to be. Boy, is that true. And I think that is often what's missing is this idea. And whether it is Advent and the Christmas season and the Hallmark films and everything, it's just like wrapped up in two hours or 60 minutes or whatever it is, the idea that that sorrow and joy and holiness and struggle can reside and, and necessarily do in the same heart and, and in the season. And, and earlier this year, and I think of your own story, you published a piece on your Substack. It was called, If You're Out There, Save Me. And as we get into your journey, I just want to read an excerpt and then ask you to comment on it because I think, again, it ties in and we'll unpack that throughout the show. But this is what you write. Following a recent post alluding to my history with the occult, I was asked if my story is written anywhere publicly. It is not. I still speak in generalities to warn and to encourage. Never, never, never play in the occult. You are not strong enough. It's great fun until it isn't. And I energetically, repeatedly, and specifically share about one truly noteworthy element. In the greatest darkness of my life, I called out to God for help. This is in bold. I didn't know if there was a God. I had no real relationship with him and was not prepared to conform my life to divine love. But in that hour of need, I called out to a, the strongest being I could imagine. I already knew that nothing on earth could help me. So my pride took a backseat to terror and desperation. And I begged, if you're out there, save me. And so you say, I cried out from a very bad place. And though it would be three, maybe four long years before my fuller liberation, I heard my pleading and he did not leave me alone. I could not see the work at the time since life was very much a melting pot of pain, but I am overwhelmed with gratitude when I look back. What do you mean by that? He did not leave me alone. It's easy to say now, looking back on our lives, and I think that's actually one of the great blessings, the great gifts of having gone through seasons of life, you know, being more seasoned or older, is that we, we've been through some of the cycles, can look back and see, I, I think of it like this golden thread that just was woven through all of the darkness in my life, but that united, you know, like the Lord never didn't have me. I guess just to put it very simply, there was never a point at which I was forgotten. There was never a point at which 
all of this that was happening to me was just random. It was like some cosmic game that was being played, you know, by the creator where I just didn't have any rootedness. And, and he was there. And I can look back and see all of the places in my life, not all of them, that, that comes <laughs> with eternity, hopefully. But, you know, I can see enough so that I just stand in awe. And then that gives me hope moving forward as we move through the dark times, which certainly will come in the future until the end. When we're in those times and I'm in those times, I look back and I can say, Lord, I trust in you. I, I know that you're there. Because at that time, I couldn't imagine a darker place. And you were there. So, And you wrote that during Lent. And as we record this now, we're nearing Advent. And so, although the seasons are different in some ways, there are many similarities. Conversion, you know, we sing the songs, come let us adore him, let Mm -hmm. earth receive her king. But it goes back to that calling out that you mentioned, save me. But first we have to identify we need to be saved. And there's a lot of people who have been pulled into this deception of, of new age spirituality, because like you said, it took you a while. It was only upon hindsight and grace that you were able to see that he was there all along and that you were really lost for a long time. And so, there are many that I would say certainly identify as Catholic that have been pulled into these false kind of esoteric socio-religious worldviews. And it can be a sneaky thing. And that's Spiritual Warfare 101, just the enemy is a counterfeit, inversion. And so, while the Christian is called to fill their mind with Christ, the enemy seeks to void the mind. I know we've talked about that a lot, to, to kind of empty of all thoughts, and that's the idea of the secular mindfulness. So, there are a lot of areas that that this has penetrated the world, even the church. For you, because you have this journey, can you give us a little bit of that part of your life? How did you get pulled in? When did it happen? Where? You know, because I think that we have to kind of try to build a spiritual defense, but we can't do that if we don't even see what we're facing or we recognize it as what it is. Yeah, and that is the difficulty. It's being able to see it because we we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> It sounds so simple, but it's true, looking back and seeing, uh, trying to place myself again in that time and realizing that I couldn't see. I couldn't. I was formed in the context of cultural Catholicism, you know, through Catholic school and the sacraments, but without much understanding at all. And so I believed that I understood what Catholicism was about. So that was the opposite of true. I I think that it's so easy to pass a wrong understanding of the right things on through the externals of Catholic culture. It's being malformed in the church is sort of an anti-catechesis. It's a real Mm. block. We think we know, but we don't. And in that context, I was also formed in the New Age and occult beliefs. And it was just this like melting pot of spirituality. So the culture has a certain language, which is just, you know, completely infused with New Age language. But we also have this Christian sort of language. We have the language of virtue. And I think because that language is so similar, you know, these cultural like nice words and the language of healing and new age, there's just this enmeshment that seeps and informs us. And I, and so it feels like a good thing. It seems like a good thing. I could think about it for hours and hours and hours and read all the books, did not realizing that I was falling deeply into what was occult spirituality. If somebody would have said, you're practicing the occult, I would have said, you're nuts, you know, (laughs) because that to me seemed like goth or something really dark or satanic, something like that. 
So for you, was that reading your horoscope? Uh, we even talked about UFOs and aliens and just all the different things that kind of brought you to far-flung parts of the universe. So what was that for you, I suppose, the gateway and the different things that you dabbled in that you recognize now were not something that would be uh, acceptable today? All of those things that you mentioned, you know, different different methods of, of meditation, mind control, that term was used a lot when I was involved. There was just a lot of belief in paranormal. There was reaching out to the paranormal, but not in a way that is like poltergeisty, but in a meditative, just very spiritual, nice, healing sort of way. Avenues like Reiki, where, again, the goal is to be healed. The goal is to be at peace, to be united to you know the universe. My goal, and this is kind of what I was taught in that sphere, was to become spiritually elevated in this life so that I could be reincarnated as something else even better and ultimately united to the universal energy. So a godliness, you know. And so my meditation was focused on separating myself from the body, which I considered evil and I considered it a stumbling block. And, and just becoming part of this universal spirit, like this spiritual soup. And that's the ultimate goal of yoga, by the way, which is another topic. But I, so I believed in God, but just in a very different sense from Christianity. God was energy. God was love. God was a vast everything and a nothingness all at the same time. And that's what I sought. And so med meditation was, was like a drug. I went there to escape and I became convinced by thought and experience that happiness would only come by way from of uh, escape from the body. And was there at this time was there anyone in your life that was saying hold up this is weird this is actually not anywhere in the catholic faith in fact it's outside of what would be true was anyone in your life telling you that or was everybody on board all your catholic friends your community That's a good question. I don't recall. I don't recall anyone no, I, I mean, there were different parts of my life, and maybe there were people who might have said something, but uh, maybe they didn't know. I, it took me a long time to even realize that there was a difference between what I was doing and what the Catholic Church thought was acceptable. And mostly that came uh, from me rejecting what the Church taught and not me feeling like the Church was rejecting what I was doing. It only seems to have grown and expanded I, in fact, received private message about this, and I wanted to share it with you and read it here and get your comment on this. This listener question, she said, I have noticed more and more openly satanic, occult, witchcraft practices on TV, in clothes, even at the vendor events I'm going to, occult items like stuff, Baphomet dolls, you'll have to, I'm not sure what those are, uh, I can only imagine. Cartoon black cats with pentagrams, Ouija boards, jewelry. It is everywhere. I saw the other day that Vanessa Hudgens from High School Musical is now a practicing witch. Do you have any words of wisdom, books, TED Talks to point me towards? I feel our youth are under attack and it's not even subtle anymore. I never talk about this stuff. I'm almost embarrassed to even write it to you, but it is weighing on me heavily and I wanted to reach out. <laughs> First of all, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to write that and to share that. And not sure the line of work there, but she said vendor events. So I'm wondering in, in retail of some sort. So your take on that, Melody. Well, she's she's right. The occult is everywhere. It's, it's pervasive in our culture and very bold. 
And I think that the, the demonic loves to boast. It, it appears like goodness in many cases, you know, appears like our, our greatest dreams, right? And we know that it apes God's design in many cases and draws us in that way. But I think it also can't help to show its hand. So it's more prevalent than ever and in, in partially there has been an increasing lack of clarity in Christian culture, like a confusion and enmeshment that we talked about of beliefs and language. And I think it's also more prevalent because the demonic is intelligent, crafty, and there's a tactic here. Even though we're shocked at first to see this dark and evil things exposed, we're certainly developing a tolerance to it. And and we talked about this, like the popularity of horror films. We just go to watch torture and terror for fun, and it's just not subtle at all. And the effect is that it normalizes these things for upcoming generations. For those who do care and want to stop it, there's just this feeling of futility. Like, it's everywhere. What can we do? And so, you know, it's just a throwing up of the hands, and it it just continues on. Hi, it's Brooke Taylor letting you know about a special one-time offer to join me on Pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On Black Friday, all online registrations with online deposits only will save $150 per person on any trip with Select International. And if you register and pay your deposit during the sale, you will also be registered to win one of two free trips, one of two free pilgrimages. That Black Friday Friday sale lasts through the weekend until Monday, November 28th. We are going to the Holy Land March 24th through April 4th. That is Lent of next year, including Palm Sunday. I would love for you to join us. Father John Michael Paul is our spiritual director. So if you're thinking of going, I would jump on that Black Friday special with Select International and enjoy a gift that will last a lifetime. Just visit selectinternational.com slash Brooke Taylor. And I think, too, a dismissiveness as if this is harmless or laughing it off or you really think that Luigi Board has some powers that you're giving to it. No, it's not. But there really, really is the oppression, the the demonic oppression, possession, and the fact that it's so widespread. You see it on social media. I had a chance to interview Susan Brinkman about this and how many witchcraft altars are on Instagram. And I I hate to say that, but it's the reality. Not only that, but there's an attractiveness in the sense that, as you talked about aping or mimicking, and so these young single women who are independent and beautiful, who are practicing Reiki or witchcraft or Wicca or whatever, that as you fell into it as a young woman, you're thinking, well, in the end, it's all just the spirit. But those distinctions are dangerously different and and so important not to conflate. I guess maybe just your your take on the sociology of it and is it because it's so pervasive and I guess mixed with the Catholic conscience is so malformed or just not formed at all that more and more are falling into this and just not even recognizing it? I think all of those things and the fact that as people lose that confidence in Christ, lose that relationship with Christ, or maybe never had it. You know, maybe in their experience of church, they never really understand what the goal was. You know, it's just all a nice story. But we're we're spiritual, and we also seek answers. We need help. And, And so the orientation is going to be continuously toward that which is promising health and healing, promising answers, 
and drawing us in through that spiritual nature that we that we have. One of the areas that I admire about you is your courage. You speak out. If you see something, you're so well-formed and your husband's a moral theologian. I think that helps as well, but also you put the work in and you speak up about it. And so because of that, I think people really see you as a leading voice in Catholic culture that is solid and orthodox and trustworthy. And it's also been divisive, which is always the gospel. I mean, that has always been the way it is. Do you think there is an issue with people not speaking up enough? And I'll just say for me, one of the reasons that I've recognized and I've heard from others that they haven't is they're not confident, they're not sure, and they want to be able to defend their position. And maybe they just know what's wrong, but they don't know why. Is there something that guides you in terms of when you speak up and what you say? Well, there are so many things that don't need to be spoken to at every moment, and I'm not the the guardian of the internet. I think when I do choose to speak up, when I write anything or you know present online, I'm thinking of my children <laughs> and my adult children. I now have four. 18 and above and, you know, on social media. And I think, boy, what are they going to think about this? And what are their peer groups thinking about this? And these are the conversations that are going on in their groups. And I'm very blessed to have good relationships with my children. And, you know, my daughter will say, hey, I saw this about, you know, a neogram or like all my friends are getting involved in this. What do you know about this? You know, sometimes there's a, there's a direct question, but other times that's what's guiding me. What do I want to pass on to my children, my grandchildren, and how do I want to allow myself to be led as well? Because, you know, I'm not there yet. <laughs> so a lot of times it comes from wanting to be able to help the the next generations and pass on what we have an obligation and also to stay clear-minded because I need to stay, I need to stay steady. One of the common gateways which you talked about the sincere pursuit to be healed, to be healthy, to be whole. I think a lot of people fall into to yoga, which is perhaps one of the biggest portals into paganism, you know, conflating the secular with the sacred. And again, Susan Brinkman, longtime leading voice in all things new age. But, but you too, you've studied this extensively. You used to practice yoga. What made you change your understanding of that? Well, I, I never, fortunately, I never got as into the physical aspects of yoga as some other people because I just found it physically difficult especially because the focus of my community was very specifically spiritual. So some of these poses were <laughs> really unnatural, just contortions, not physiologically healthy. And, and so I, I didn't find that pleasant, but my beliefs and goals of my spiritual practices were the same. They were united. So yoga was a part of my life in that way. And then later on, as a practicing Catholic, as a mom, I hadn't really examined that part of my life well yet. Uh, that was because I didn't have that very strong attachment to it. And I was it was reintroduced through things like P90X, you know, I don't know if you've ever done P90X. Yeah. I like the beach body stuff. And it was just in these light ways that just don't really rattle the Christian sensibilities. So I thought, well, I can handle this. But as my kids got older, I, and, and they started to incorporate the practice into their own exercise, I felt like that spotlight was on me a little bit, started to look back, started to really prayerfully consider and investigate more. And I realized basically yoga is bodily prayer. Yoga is a spiritual practice and it cannot be wholly separated from its purpose. And then I think 
there was one pivotal moment where I think I looked up yoga and Tony Horton, like related to P90X. And I thought, well, this is just, he's just like incorporating it because he's this exercise guy. And I saw this video where he was talking about how yoga was his life, how it was like his his foundation. This is where he went and and he spoke about it on really spiritual terms. And that made me think, who are we allowing to guide us? What is their spiritual root and what are we, you know, what are we sort of collecting and learning from that? And I found that there were just little things in my life, like clearing the mind. And one day I was in confession and I said, Father, I'm having a really hard time praying. I just can't seem to clear my mind. And he said, why would you want to clear your mind? <laughs> he said, stop doing that. You want to fill your mind. You can calm your mind, fill your mind with the presence of Jesus Christ. And I realized at that point, like, okay, we've got to have this conversation in our house. And it, it got lively. It was good. A lot of good, hearty conversation. But I had to draw that line. And I said, no more. And then, at least in my house, right? And then I found, you know, it's just been like a progression, a journey of learning since then. Well, where do we draw the line when it comes to something like yoga? Because I know, and we'll get into your certification of Soul Core, which is a wonderful alternative. But in that study, you said there are so many poses, including like blinking and yawning and anything could be considered yoga. So for the Christian who has an ardent desire to earnestly be faithful, like you said, to examine and to really be thoughtful. As Catholics, we're called to be thinkers and to really think, is this necessary? Or even like you said, the undertones, is there kind of a hard and fast rule? And it's not just for us, but it's being incorporated in schools, in different programs. Are there guardrails for you you find helpful? So yoga in its essence is not Christian. It is anti-Christian, it is Hindu. And if you're calling it yoga and you're incorporating any of the principles that go beyond just moving the body and and exercise, that is an anti-Christian activity. All yoga instructors are instructed in the whole of yoga, not just certain poses. And so they will learn about the energy centers and, and you, you know, clearing the mind and, and the specifics. It's not separated. So I would say that that line, at least, now, where I've, the point that I've come to is that if it says yoga, if it's yoga, I don't do it. There's so much that we have. God designed the body. God designed the movements. The 1,500 plus movements that are involved in yoga do not belong to yoga. Some of them do, <laughs> like some of them, like we talked about the contortions and things that just don't even have a place in exercise really in a healthy way. But getting rid of those. You know, I think you and I talked about the difference between, well, how some people say, well, I can filter this out, right? I can go to a yoga class and I can filter it out. And But at the most basic level, we're not filters, right? We're temples. We're temples. And so, you know, all of the other stuff about yoga aside, why are we going for the bare minimum? Let's turn toward the Lord with passion and joy and reverence and right ordered thinking and our intellect and our body. And let's use bodily prayer in a Christ-centered way. Well, and that really, I think, brings us to to Soul Corps. We had you as instructor at our Arise Retreat, which was so beautiful. It was an offering that included a beautiful rosary made of roses and just a moving experience for myself, for everyone that was there, included all 
physical and health levels, but it's not always easily acceptable, accessible. So I guess, could you first explain what is SoulCore and why is it different than yoga? And, and what would you recommend for people who can't get to SoulCore in areas where it might not be available? Yeah, so I'm, I'm involved in both SoulCore and Pietra Fitness, which are both Catholic options for exercise. SoulCore is an apostolate that intentionally engages the whole person in the sacred experience of the rosary. So it's a rosary-based workout, integrating the prayers of the rosary with core strengthening, mobility, functional movements. And, and so the goal is to really nourish the body and the soul and encourage that deeper reflection on the virtues. So you could literally come to the workout. I mean, you were there. <laughs> you could just, if you weren't feeling it that day, you could sit or lay on your mat and pray if you wanted to. But it's also a fantastic workout. And, and the founders, Colleen and Deanne, they did not design it to be a yoga alternative specifically. It was, they wanted a rosary workout. But I think, you know, for anybody who wants a replacement, who needs to manage the nervous system and stress levels and also get stronger in the body, uh, it's a beautiful option. And they do have, so I would look, the experience of doing soul core in person is different from online. They have beautiful options. PHA Fitness is, is another organization, another apostolate, similar, but different, different, like different personalities in the, in the same body, in the body of Christ. And PHA Fitness operates similarly on the foundation that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So combining Christian prayer and strengthening exercises, you know, just helping to build toward an unshakable foundation, both physically and spiritually. They're different, but they both have in-person options. You can go to their websites, look for um, classes in your area. If there's nothing available at the time, they both have online studios. And I think both have a, um, well, I know both have a period, uh, like a free trial period, so you can kind of play around in there. But I really encourage people, if they if you can get to a live class, and some leaders even do like live online where you can log in and be part of their part of their uh you know extended family but but i think it's that really beautiful getting together to pray and intercessory prayer while you're engaged in that bodily movement oriented towards the lord i think it's neat too you were sharing in the certification process of the community of others who are also certified and their backgrounds too it's just nice to know, again, in solidarity, that those who are drawn to this program, too, they saw some of the problematic aspects of the New Age movement. Can you share a little bit of that and I guess the way maybe that you were edified through connecting with these other women who really do have a heart to point people to our Lord and to be faithful? It is, I actually have the goosebumps. I started to think about it and I got the goosebumps. That faith community is so beautiful and hearing the stories of women, a lot of which are rooted in their desire for greater healing in one way or another, right? But also people coming out of the yoga world, yoga instructors, I'm thinking of a couple of people specifically who actually had yoga businesses who have just undergone this transformation, a deeper conversion, like, Lord, I want to give everything to you. You know, I don't want to hold anything back. And I just remember I was listening to a couple of these testimonies. Uh, we heard everybody's stories at the beginnings of the program and then also at the end. And to hear people talk at the end about, you know, it's not just about going and smacking people over the head and telling them not to do yoga, but it's about being able to offer something that's so much more, so much more. 
And I can't imagine as we approach Advent and go into the, the Christmas season, a greater gift than to be de-dragoned by all of these things, you know, <laughs> that has that has accumulated around us, not because we're bad or we took our, but because there there is truly, like we received in that direct message, an active attack on souls, particularly on the faithful. And I guess as we kind of conclude, I wanted to ask you about Advent, but before we get there, this last question that kind of wraps it up about the occult, new age, and and what you've been through and experienced. There are so many people that have children who have strayed or might say, mom, you're telling me not to do yoga. Look at all the sins and the terrible things going on in this world. And yet you are going to nitpick that I take a yoga class. There are so many people that just, again, kind of dismiss these things or just because I look at my horoscope at lunch doesn't mean that I believe these things. How would you respond to that and to the person that just kind of scoffs or that's trying to reach their child that scoffs at the idea that these little things can either bring us closer in faith or formation or virtue or pull us farther away? Uh, Well, all of life is composed of all of these little things. And, you know, conversion is really about surrendering all of it to the Lord. You know, we see in scripture, like when Jesus is talking to the young man and he's saying, Lord, what more do I have to do? And, it, but, but but then, you know, Jesus tells him and he's like, well, okay, maybe not. <laughs> but we're, we're called to surrender everything. And it's not, again, it's not this legalistic, like, okay, well, let's lay out all the things that you're not supposed to do. It's, what, let me look at all of the areas of my life, Lord, and how can they become a conduit of grace and mercy, and how can they be surrendered to you? And it's becoming closer and closer to our Lord until that love that He has for us is pouring out of us, and we can be, you know, expressing through our lives and the details of our lives, the beauty and the power and the healing hope of the Lord. And, you know, if we're always compromising in the little ways, I think we so easily walk ourselves off that path, but there's so much beauty to staying on it, and it's not just this fear-led game of counting, but it's it's a passionate love affair. And you know, when you have that love affair, you see everything differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the sky is bluer, the grass is greener. And, but again, that takes work. It's not just an emotion, but it takes work. It's a decision. And that's what I love about our faith is the more we, we strive the more grace multiplies through the examples that we read in the lives of the saints or the people that we encounter or the way that scripture is revealed and in the way that we even examine our conscience, which is a huge part of that in that conversion. And as we conclude, I just want to mention a book that you had shared really was transformative for you. It's Alfred Delp, Father Alfred Delp, Priest and Martyr. His book is Advent of the Heart, Seasonal Sermons and Prison Writings. And kind of, again, that golden thread that you talked about from the very beginning and in even looking at the beginning opening remarks of the show and the de-dragoning of Eustace to your story and to all of us. This was one of Father Delp's favorite season, but he talks about a shaking and an awakening. And for you, having been really impacted by his works and writing, can you share, I guess, maybe a takeaway that we might reflect on as we begin our Advent journey? Yeah, he, he, I, I found Father Delp in 2020, that fateful year when we were in the midst of quarantine and the really frightening realities of that year. And that Christmas was very sad, that Advent. You know, there was just this uh, an oppression of sorrow over all of us and, and me specifically. I can speak to my own heart and not to other people's, but you know, uh, so 
this book that he wrote in the midst of the Holocaust in Germany. And it's a com compilation of some of his homilies that he gave during the advents of the period, I think it was a span of four years, and then also while he was imprisoned in Tegel prison. And he wrote these to his flock, especially from prison, these people who were struggling to live daily under the cloud of the evil of their time. You know, trying to like decorate for Christmas and bustle, hustle and bustling and, and get the presents and do all these things that we do living on the surface um, while also trying to manage like the, the bombings <laughs> and imprisonment, you know, of their own government. So much of his message was oriented toward this idea that all of life is Advent and the shakings of our time are an opportunity to have the veneer of the externals broken open so that we might meet Christ and and be welcomed into the abundance to which he calls us. That's how the book begins. I have it opened more and on a deeper level than before. We really know this time that all of life is Advent. That's a letter from prison, December 5th, 1944. And in the introduction, it says, Father Delp had preached about the symbolism of the blessed candles, which give light at the cost of their own substance. He had spoken prophetically about comprehending and fulfilling the vocation of a grain of wheat, this call to be poured out extravagantly, to be sacrificed, and to give of oneself even unto death, to shine a light from one's very substance for the benefit of others. And I thank you for shining for shining your light in what you write and how you live, the example and the testimony, because you're very real about the challenges. And I think that's what we need is the vulnerability, but also the strength and the formation that you demonstrate through your writing and your work. So thank you for taking the time and just for all that you do. Oh, thank you so much. And I feel the same way about you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you're, just need to get together more, mentors. I, think. I know. It's so funny because we live so near, but that's how life is. But I'm so thankful for times like this and for the gift that is the sacred part of social media when you're able to be blessed by the graces of those that you admire. So thank you for all you do. Amen. God bless you and happy Advent. Thank you. You too. Thank you again to Melody Lyons. Her website is theessentialmother.com. And from there, you can access her Substack, get a copy of her book. It's called The Sunshine Principle, A Radically Simple Guide to Natural Catholic Healing. And in closing, just a few notes. I have to laugh because for someone who has temporarily retired her podcast. I sure have been pushing out a lot of episodes lately, and it's really been directed by you, for you, because of the topics, the responses I've received, your feedback. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to connect with you and to cover these important themes. Health, healthy aging has been a big one lately. And I want to remind you on that note, if you're interested in MetPro, that's the program I've had quite a lot of success with, approach them personally, and it's not a diet, it's metabolic profiling. In episode number 245, we went into all of that with, with Coach Kat. But for a limited time, you can still join the program. You can join MetPro with a three-month commitment if you use my code Brooke. And normally it's a six or 12-month commitment but this is a special offer. So the info is linked for you in the show notes to MetPro. The gift of health is a priceless treasure. As we approach the holidays, maybe something to consider and the info will be linked for you. And in the next few months, and this may very well be the last show of the year. So I just want to say thank you again for listening and sharing 
responding to the podcast. Also, in the next few months, you can catch me on Relevant Radio regularly as I'll be guest hosting periodically for Timory. She'll be going on maternity leave, so say a prayer for her and her family, the amazing work that she does. Her show, Trending, airs at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern every night. So I'll be starting around the end of December, just before Christmas, filling in a few times a week for her on maternity leave. And if you don't have Relevant Radio, it is the largest Catholic radio network in the United States. So hopefully there's a station near you. And if there isn't, you can download the app. I listen quite a bit through the day. I have it in the car. I have the app on my phone. I love listening to Patrick Madrid and the Drew Mariani show, Kale Clark. It's probably the thing that I listen to most. So I invite you to check that out. The Family Rosary Coast to Coast is something that our family has gotten into a habit of praying together. So we'll just kind of cast it up onto the TV. And there you're able to pray with others across the country and their intentions as they gather for the rosary as well. And that's at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Relevant Radio. And of course, the invitation to pilgrimage. would love for you to join us in the Holy Land for a Lenten pilgrimage at the end of March, the beginning of April. We'll be there Palm Sunday and then home for the rest of Holy Week and of course Easter. So lots to look forward to. And in the interview with Melody, we talked about Advent of the Heart. That was the collection of seasonal sermons, prison writings from Alfred Delp. If you are looking for a good reflection book, I would recommend this one. And I will also link up this book so it's accessible if you're interested in reading it. But that's where I want to wrap up today as we conclude to end with a brief reflection that I think takes us all the way back to the beginning, looking at Eustace Clarence Scrub, and in a way that relates to Advent, the undragoning of us all. He says, Just as I know that only the Lord God can and will loose my fetters and open my door, and that only His creative storm will unfurl my flag once again, exactly the same thing applies to man. But for him to have the right insight into these circumstances, he needs to call upon our redeeming God persistently and to wait in openness. God's salvation does not abuse and violate us. We must keep telling people these days that the Lord stands ready and waiting at the gates. The entire bitter course of events is not only a judgment but should be taken just as seriously as God himself hammering on the gates of our minds, our spirits, and our freedom for us to surrender them to Him. By ourselves and with our own strength alone, we will not manage it. Man is challenged again to stand and deliver. Only, he does not merely exchange one set of fetters for another. God's calls are always creative. They increase the very reality within us that is called upon, precisely because of their realness and authenticity. Therefore, our own lives absolutely, urgently, and immediately need an ongoing conversion and abandonment to God so that His will to save us can become redeemingly, creatively effective. We must begin this immediately and keep on with it. That is real freedom. Amen. That is from Father Alfred Delp. A big thank you to my producer for his dynamic skills and quick work. Mark Cumming is a producer extraordinaire. So for any audio video needs you may have, check him out at cominghomestudio.com. Wishing you a blessed, holy Advent and Christmas season. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord's light shine upon you and give you peace.